webinar. Um, this is on how to learn reliability in reliability engineering. And it's it's the heart of many of the questions I get. And by the way, I get questions almost every day. Uh, what's a good resource? Is this a good approach? Have you seen this? What do you recommend? Um, where do I find? And, and all kinds of variations of questions like that. And so it's a uh, Let's see, I've got a, hopefully it's not a problem. All right, thanks, Longturn. Everything seems to be going well. All right, I'm always wondering, especially with a new system, I'm sure I'm gonna learn the hard way a couple of things here. Uh, as always, it's a learning process. But in the last couple of webinars I've done over this year has been, well, what is reliability engineering and how do you, uh, you know, what, what do you do as a reliability engineer, things like that. But we focus on this topic as a profession, as an engineering discipline of what we do in support of other programs or as a part of our day-to-day -day work, because we want things to work, to last, to survive and perform as they're expected to perform over time. And so we tend to focus on reliability because for a myriad of reasons, but for many of us, it's because we were asked to, or we chose to, right? We, we, we find it interesting to specialize on something that makes things work over time. And, but we, we may have been tapped on the shoulder to do this. We may have, you know, decided to go to college for this or whatever, but what we're doing is at the heart of, in, in the way I summarize it, is to, to influence decisions so that we achieve a, a durable, robust product that functions as expected over time, uh, or in and along that, 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 that approach. Reliability engineering is, according to some people, a subdiscipline of system reliability. Some consider it a part of quality. Some consider it part of mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, software engineering, site uh, uh, maintenance, uh, maintenance engineering, operations. It is a part of almost, well, I would say every engineering discipline is the decisions we make from picking materials to how they go together, to how we uh, support them and maintain them, all have the goal of making something function as expected over time. And that's all reliability engineering. Now, we often, the folks that specialize in it, then build skills and capabilities and knowledge that supports the, the team and the organizations we work with to achieve those same goals. But you don't have to be called a reliability engineer to do reliability engineering, I think is my main point there, right? But how do you start, right? So that's what I wanted to talk about today is the, I was in my office, I was doing some research uh, on a project uh, to improve an extruder process that was in the factory I was working on. I was a manufacturing engineer and I was doing some research projects of how to measure some aspect uh, in an ongoing basis rather than the destructive test we were using. And my boss walked in, the director of engineering, and he said, 
Fred, I want you to figure out how long this thing will last. It was a new product that was under development. And a critical question from a major customer was, will it last 20 years? And I looked at him and like, well, okay, what do I do with that question? <laughs> he says, well, you're a smart guy, go figure it out. And so from that point on, I was technically had started my career as a reliability engineer and, and eventually a consultant in the area. But that day uh, was a challenge. And that week was interesting. And within the first year though, I hit my stride and I really liked what I was doing. I also liked the, the challenge that I was facing. So that first day I didn't have Google, it was prior to Google. So you can either use the, the chat over on, and I'll send the link out again. Um, hopefully you can see it. Um, for a Padlet, which is a, a tool I'd like to use for chat. Um, and so, when, so if you're just getting started, somebody said you're at now, or you just started a new task, uh, you're out of school now and you're getting your first assignments, um, what would you look up, right? What is it you would do um, to, to, you know, <laughs> what is reliability? That's actually a good question. Um, because many of you know that I've, I've, uh, I've looked at it and if I do address that question a couple of times in these, in these webinars, is that most people consider it, it's dependable. It's, if you look up images uh, for reliability, you will get German shepherds, you know, dedicated, loyal creatures. Um, so reliability is somebody, it's, you're trustworthy. You'll, if you say you're gonna do something, you're gonna do it. That kind of thing, where it's not the same as what we typically talk about, is it's a function in an environment with specific conditions uh, over time with some probability of success. Okay, so, but just getting started, we often are just looking for well, what's the definitions and terminology, right? You know, uh, and just what's the what are we trying to do? What's our, 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 our uh, uh, tackling part? See, I didn't even know that I was being asked to run an accelerated life test when I started. I was asked, Can, you wanna know if this will last for 20 years? And so, of course, my first thought was I get to go to Northern Italy, which is where the customer was, and watch the product and measure it over 20 years, uh, which would have been great. Um, they wanted an answer in like six months. So I, my hopes of going to, to the Dolomites um, and monitoring the product's performance uh, were dashed pretty quickly. All right, so day one, like I mentioned, is I ended up with lots of questions, right? So I asked for what, what you know, what am I trying to do? And uh, do you have any idea how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I didn't get much of an answer on that. It was, no, you go figure it out. Um, 
we had been doing a number of different things that were uh, standard tests. We put them in chambers with some heat and we would measure their performance. And we knew that it was a degradation process that our product would, would slowly lose its ability to perform. Think of like a fluorescent light slowly loses its ability to, to illuminate. And so it fades. LEDs do this too, is they fade over time, although quite slowly. And so the idea was is to, is the test that we currently do, is it suitable for this product, which is really new? And so I ended up with another research project and a way to validate our ongoing standard tests and did it apply to this new formulation that we we're using. I also asked simple things like, well, who needs this result? And my boss said, I do. You know, and ultimately the customer does, all right? Well, how did the customer ask for this? What specifically were they looking for? How, what criteria or what justification do they need? Because we could just say it's gonna last 20 years, trust us. And if that's good enough, we can save a lot of money and time. And he said, no, 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 they want test results. They want evidence, scientific evidence that this will work. And I says, oh, okay, well, what do we already know? And he says, well, we know it, it should be similar to our, our existing products, yet we're not sure. And so I started thinking, well, I could do a comparison test for products that we've tested in the past and we knew how well they performed and put our this new product next to it and it's at an elevated temperature and see how it does. But it, that started to just raise more questions, right? If I have a different performance out of it, is that because it's better than the old product or is it going to fall off a cliff some point or is it does it have a different fundamental mechanism that temperature may not apply or and so on so i started to make a list of people i wanted to go ask questions to right my director at answered a good number of them for me but we had a chemist in the building we had some senior materials engineers that i could go talk to um, there was the folks that were running the existing tests and at previous products and so on. I could go talk to them and what they knew and didn't do. The corporate group had some R&D folks that I, I was recommended to go talk to and about the material science of what we were trying to do. But I started that very first day just making a, a list of questions that I thought I needed to get answers to before I could even start planning what I was going to do. But this is pretty normal, right? We don't walk into a situation knowing all the answers. So we just go out and ask a bunch of questions. But as I started to formulate more understanding of what we knew and didn't know, then it was a triage, right? Is, well, what kind of project am I doing, right? Am, am, I, am I doing a research project that's going to influence a whole field of study? Or am I doing a comparison? Or am I, am I, trying to understand what elements of this product create its, its longevity or what exactly, what's the exact question I'm trying to answer? And in my case, it was, we wanna know if this new formulation will last for 20 years. And so part of it was similar to one of the comments in the, uh, in the padlet was, well, why do products fail? Well, what causes this product to fail, right? And in my case, it was a polymer degradation. It was chain scissioning. The polymers are made up of long uh, uh, strands of, of atoms, basically uh, molecules in, in 
in long strings, think of it. And when those break, which is called chain scissioning, um, the material property changes. It becomes less elastic. And for the particular product I was working on, that meant it it lost its ability to function slowly as this, this phenomena occurred. And so as I, I dug more into the actual chemistry that was going on and understanding this with the chemist, it seemed like this is a natural application for the Arrhenius equation, which they told me about the chemist did. And I'm like, okay, why didn't we use that on our other test? And so the the basic approach was understanding the problem. And I spent a good amount of time just understanding what exact question am I trying to answer and what's the appropriate approach to to dive into that. Um, right. The question of, you know, why do chain polymers degrade? Well, part of it is is just that the the energy imparted on it, like heat or their natural motion or so on, it causes bonds within that molecule chain to, to, to separate, to break apart. Sometimes it's oxidation. And, and in my case, that's exactly what it was, is uh, oxygen molecules would, uh, or atoms essentially would uh, uh, interweave and, and be near these uh, polymer chains. and the chain would break because it preferred, at that point, it preferred to be without oxygen than it did to be with what it was connected before, probably carbon. And it needed a little bit of energy. It was part of the normal degradation process for this. And at normal temperatures, it went very, very slowly. But at high temperatures, it obviously, it increased. It was just increased the, the frequency of this phenomena occurring. But that's the level of detail I got into it. Now, I'm talking about this one particular issue, but it applies to just about everything we do. What exactly is it this failure mechanism? And anybody that, any of you that have asked me a question on how to do a test, for example, of any kind of reliability test, I almost always, uh, respond with, well, what's the failure mechanism? What's the detailed phenomena that's causing the failure to occur? And if we know that, then we can design a test. And so the folks around me, when I first started, that was their focus, is you need to understand what is happening at, at a chemical level in order to design this test. And I'm like, okay. And that stuck with me. I've been doing that for 25, almost 30 years now, uh, focusing on the failure mechanism, but also then, well, how do I answer this question? Once I understand that phenomena, what, what am I trying to do, right? Is this a process improvement thing or is this just making sure it's a pass fail or is it, what's the criteria by which the answer is adequate? Right, and then that helps me figure out the approach. And then it was, you know, all right, I need 800,000 samples. I need to run this for five years. I need, you know, 47 people to prep all the samples and make the measurements. I need a bunch of test equipment. And then, you know, that grand scheme all came crashing down is, no, you don't get all those samples. No, you don't get all this stuff. No, we don't really know these parts of it. We think this is important. We think this is not important it got fuzzy quick. And also my boss reiterated after a couple of days of thinking about this and working on it, he said, 
well, we still need the answer in six months, right? We need a good enough answer. And so time was my biggest problem. I could get plenty of samples and I had chambers and I could get three different temperature chambers at three different levels. And so the, the sets of constraints and what we had available started to take shape. But I needed measurement equipment. I needed ways to monitor the samples, uh, a lot of samples, uh, on an ongoing basis. And that became just another uh, uh, hurdle for the project, right? To figure out how to um, uh, manage and make the measurements I needed to do. And then I learned that you have to make it at a specific temperature. The product was temperature sensitive, and so I would get different performance results out of that. So it became as much of a project about how to make a good measurement uh, of this feature we're looking for as it did to actually understand the failure mechanism. And so out of that first day, I ended up with a long list of questions. And some were quick answers. Some people knew immediately, or we had reports on, or we had an understanding of. And others led to a lot of details that needed to be sorted out. And so that was the fun part. I thoroughly enjoyed understanding that edge between what we know and don't know. All right. So what did you do your first day? Right. What what how did you get started on your first day? And I'm going to set up a new uh, I'm still not sure how do you send on this thing. <laughs> I think I just click outside the box and it sets it up. I mean, a couple of questions came in. All right, function, good. Having episodes of static during the webinar. Okay, sorry about that rule. I, I know that this system is pretty bandwidth limited. So you got to be very careful if there's other things going on. But uh, if other people are getting a lot of static, maybe it's my microphone and I'll have to do something about that. Yeah, read a standard um, on your first day. Uh, hopefully it wasn't Mill Handbook 217. I'm just joking. No, really, I, I hope it wasn't Mill Handbook 217. Um, standards provide you know, a, a starting point of how others have approached something. But it's usually you gotta be very careful. Is it apply to your particular circumstance? For me, we knew we had a new chemical formulation, right? We had something that our old standard really didn't, we didn't know if it applied or not. And that was the heart of what I was doing. Um, taking a look at field data, you know, what do we have? What do we don't have? What kind of failure mechanisms do we see? So thanks, no static in your end. Yeah. You open the book called Practical Reliability Engineering, and that's by probably, or it's the fifth edition now by O'Connor and Kleiner. And the first book I had was by Wayne Nelson, Accelerated Testing. Um, but I very quickly found Practical Reliability Engineering and uh, Reliability Engineering Management, or in Handbook of Reliability Engineering and Management, and it was by Iris and Coombs and Moss. It's a bit dated now, but it's, it's some of those basic text references got me going. Yeah, explain the root cause. 
Yeah, good, good. You're given a team of reliability engineers to supervise. Hopefully you had some experience either with management and or reliability and, or maybe design or something like that that helped you out in those circumstances. Uh, it's a big field. There's a lot to reliability engineering. And usually people get started with, you know, here's your task, here's your mission, here's your objective or something like that, you know? And today we can start with a Google search. Hopefully that person then finds the Sando reliability and then puts them on a good start. That would be cool. Okay. Yeah. The first day of any job for me anyway, in the first couple of weeks is really a, a a learning curve, learning as much as I possibly can. And um, my first day almost always involves heading to the library, right? Uh, at Raychem, we had a corporate library uh, and I got to know the librarians there very, very well. And I was in technical journals and, and textbooks and research reports, internal reports, uh, um, dissertations, just about anything you can imagine that was related to the field I was in uh, to get up to speed, to keep current eventually. But one of the things that first week taught me, and what I'm suggesting is how you learn reliability is to keep in mind that one, it's we're focusing on failure mechanisms, right? We're almost always trying to focus on either identifying the failure mechanism or minimizing the occurrence of that mechanism as it goes on. But what we're really doing is influencing decisions, right? This customer that I mentioned before in Northern Italy, they wanted to know if this product would work for 20 years, buried in concrete. Uh, and this was used to melt ice and snow from bridges in the mountains. And they didn't want to tear up a bridge every five years to replace this stuff. So they wanted to make sure it lasted at least long enough to be useful. And so they had a decision to make to whether to invest in this technology or not. And they wanted some evidence that the product would function as expected over 20 years. So my piece of it was only one part of it. There was still price. There was still uh, the functionality of the product. Does it actually do what it's supposed to do? There were sensors used to detect temperature and precipitation so they would turn on. There was, how are they going to power this thing? How much power consumption was used? Um, and a, a bevy of other elements of this purchase decision, of which the work I was doing was one part of it, but it needed to fit in with all of those decisions. And, and so the, the idea of later in my career working with the electronics uh, circuit board design teams, they were making decisions of which component to use, which derating level to apply, which uh, uh, how, where to place them on the boards close to say tie downs or screws or other components that had a lot of heat, for example, whether or not to use a heat sink. Those decisions affect the reliability of the product. And so a lot of my work later became influencing those decisions. Right? So your work that you're doing as a reliability engineer or a manager of a reliability engineer, the, the idea is to, one, understand what's the task you're going to go do. Now, I'm not saying this, this, this 
presentation is really not about how do I learn accelerated life testing or FMEAs or whatever. It's the same basic process, right? It's, well, what's the task? What are the steps? What's the terms and definitions? But more importantly, in order for you to learn it effectively is it has to be who needs this? What's the output that's required? What's the decision that they need to make and when, right? And our, our ability to learn has to keep pace with people making decisions so that we can influence those decisions, right? Sometimes just asking the right question, and it might be a naive question that you're just thinking, well, how does this fail? Um, like in an FMEA, well, how could this fail if it's used XYZ type of way? That could be pivotal to helping somebody decide how to build that product or design it or to maintain it. The idea is, is that what we're doing and our process of learning uh, about failure mechanisms, about techniques and tools and so on, is all in service to somebody's going to have to make a decision. And is it ready to ship or not? Or is it is it appropriate? Is it going to last long enough? And so understanding those decisions that are going to be made, and there's always more than one, and what's their context, allows us then to frame what we need to know and what we need to, to deliver. Now, I mentioned this already, is there's tons of connections. These decisions are not in isolation. It's not, it feels like that sometimes, right? When you're, you're working with a team and, and they say, hey, we need a, uh, an FMEA, go do it. And you do, you get the team together and you do a, a wonderful study and you come up with a bunch of action items and the program manager says, oh, we're not gonna do anything with that. We just need to say that we did an FMEA. Well, you understand if you're in attending one of these uh, seminars or work, uh, uh, webinars is that, well, unless you do something with the results of your FMEA, you're not really doing air quotes here, FMEA, you're just checking a box. So what we do, whether it's running an accelerated life test or creating a derating guideline or calculating safety factors or uh, analyzing field data, it's usually, and I would suspect always, in context with a lot of other people, a lot of other elements, a lot of other uh, uh, decisions that need to be made. And so we're getting information to feed into the FMEA. We're bringing experience with us and so on. And we're also um, using those results to do something else, influencing a decision or feeding into another process. And so doing a task well in isolation has little to no value. Doing it with a, the ability to be connected to the rest of our program and organization can add a lot of value, plus allow us to be successful in executing that thing. And that's the, the third point really in this whole context here is that we're gonna ask questions. We're gonna learn as we go. We're gonna pick up knowledge and understanding what gaps need to be filled either by a study or a test or some research. We're also going to influence decisions but the entire process is in context of adding value. And so when I look back on that initial accelerated life test, 
This was a multi-million dollar deal and a, a purchase of our product that would keep our factory going for many years. And for this brand new product line, and it was our first major customer. And if they, along with all the other elements, price and delivery and functionality and all these other pieces were going well, it turned out that this accelerated life test was a pivotal piece of information they needed in order to say, yes, we'll buy that product. And so at the end of the program, I wrote up my report and it was uh, three different temperature levels showing the different degrees of degradation. And we're able to then extrapolate back to the use temperatures and we ended up with a very low probability of failure at 20 years. And here's the statistical evidence of that part of it. And it was a, a simple, nice report. I probably would have written it even better nowadays looking back on it. But it was my first one. And the general manager, who was my like my boss's boss's boss, came over and thanked me for making that sale happen. Um, apparently he thought that handshake was very valuable because I didn't get a bonus or anything with it, but I did get a whole bunch more assignments that built on that ability to do accelerated life testing and and to do reliability type work. Um, but it added that pivotal piece of information that allowed them to go through with that sale. So it was worth quite a, a quite a bit. And that got me hooked on that. If I'm gonna do something, um, it's gotta be useful, right? It's gotta add value to the person I'm talking to or the organization or to the sale or to the customer or all, all of those if possible. Now, what I do when I add value is I, is you got to think about it a little bit is right. If I'm going to propose something, what's for me, it was easy, right? If this accelerated test shows that we have a low probability of failure at 20 years, the customer is likely to make the purchase. It's going to influence that. If we say it's not going to last for 20 years, that's unlikely they're going to buy, buy the product. Right? So I could calculate, you know, based on these results, there's this multi-million dollar decision going to be made. Now, we don't always have it that clear, but it does take some work. And I've talked about it many times. Is how do you determine the value of what you're doing? But think it through is what, if you're going to propose a test, what value will it add? What's the likelihood that it'll be useful? What's it going to influence? What decision is going to make an impact on that decision? And then the other side of that is if it doesn't add value, if there's more useful things you could be go doing, well, then don't do it. If you're going to run a test because we always run the test and nobody's going to look at the results, well, then why are you doing it, right? So part of our learning process and reliability is to focus on those decisions, the ones that add the most value to prioritize that. Okay. So let's say you're now in a position where you want to advise somebody that's just starting out. What would you tell them to do? Now, I'm a little biased. I would tell them to go do ascend over liability, um, but that's just me. What would you say? Let's see if I can start a new. I don't think I spelled much of that right. 
I, I got a question. Good question. How do you choose the right tools? And yeah, find a good mentor. Yeah, my director of reliability was actually that mentor for me and then followed quickly by a chemist that was in, in the chem lab that uh, those between the two of them, I got a deep understanding of the failure mechanism plus the context of how this decision was framed and why it was important. Definitely. Now, to, and it, when I answered that question, it went away. So there should be a way I can see it again. Got a question in the question tab um, from Tammy. How do you know what reliability tool to use, for example? You know, one of the earlier ones was the, uh, the comment of, you know, read the standard. You know, what do you, what do people already do? And if you already have that history, that's a good place to start is use tools from there. Um, but as part of the learning process we do is we open up the trade journals, we open up, uh, go to a conference, we look at, do a Google search for ways to measure and in your particular cases for uh, life of a lubricant, for example. Some vendors share a lot of information that can help you answer that question. They tend to focus on their lubricant, but the techniques they're using uh, may apply in more broad sense. But understanding, well, how does the lubricant fail? Going back to that, so it may be uh, doing uh, technical papers and, and doing some research in that area to understand the failure mechanism and then how can you measure that? But the idea of, there's no one right tool for every circumstance. It's also couched in, well, who needs the results of that information? To what certainty or what uh, level of detail, specificity do, do, do they need it and so on? But usually it's start where you can, learn from that, you know, adjust and move on, right? And keep learning and applying and learning and applying. This process of learning reliability is engineering is an ongoing process. One, we keep figuring out new ways to make things fail as customers. Uh, but two, our sensors and technology and measurement systems keep evolving. The material sets we keep using keeps changing. And so our ability to absorb knowledge and ask the right questions is pivotal for us to learn how to be a reliability engineer. And so let's go back. I got a few comments on how would you advise someone just starting out? Yeah, understand the customer, uh, give them a report. Let's see, a case report, you know, some of the history, what's been done before, that's a great one. Use, use cases is, what are the constraints? And that's all of that, you know, day one kind of stuff is what is my boundaries here for this problem I'm trying to solve? Um, look for examples. I spent, that's where I went to the library. I looked for, well, somebody else has figured out how to make, to test polymers for degradation over time. What did they do? You know, what kind of studies did they do? What kind of research did they do? What kind of statistics is involved here? And that's where I ended up with Wayne Nelson's book, right? And you know, along the way, as you get started, and one of the comments here is sit for the CRE exam. Even if you don't sit for the exam, but you study for it and understand the range of tools and techniques available to you, that can add a lot of value and get you, get you started. Yeah, no, those are all good. Okay. So I think that's good.
right? Now, let's say you've been doing this for a little while and you're, you know, solving your first sets of problem. And at first year I did solve that first problem of a product lasted for good, good likelihood that it would last for six, for 20 years based on about or four months worth of testing. And we ran the test a bit longer and I actually ended up writing my first technical paper because of the, uh, the degradation wasn't linear. And so I couldn't use the standard techniques from Wayne Nelson's book. So we used, I uh, ran into a, a university professor that says, oh, we can use a Weiner diffusion process uh, technique to solve that, which opened me up to learn a lot more. But what one of the parts to learn, learning anything, but learning reliability is that you need to, the hard part here, is this concept that if we do our job well and the products are reliable, right? And our production line is maintained well so that it doesn't fail unexpectedly very often, the reliability work is then almost invisible, right? You're not the hero bringing the line back up at the latest hour just before the last push for production. You're not spending, you know, a a weekend solving a field problem so that it gets designed out of our production line. If you do our job well, we don't have those emergencies. You know, it'll happen on occasion, but there'll be many, way fewer of those. But the, there's this concept, and I, I'm trying to remember um, um, Gladwell. I don't remember whether that's Malcolm Gladwell. Um, one of the comments he talked about in a study was that if you want to learn something, you have to do it deliberately. And by that, what he means is that if you're trying to learn how to swim, for example, um, in my case, I was trying to learn how to do an accelerated test, is as I put the plan together, I ran the logic through the other engineers in our group. And if I if I could explain it in a way that they, it made sense to them and they could follow the logic and that it, it all made, it, it passed the sniff test is the way my boss would call it. Um, I was getting feedback that I was on the right track, right? But they asked, it was like a design review. They asked questions of, you know, well, what happens here? What if this doesn't work out? What, how do you get these results? What are you measuring? How does that translate, you know, and so on. But in general, was that the appropriate type of approach to use? So as the program progressed, I started going, is there better ways? Is there another way to do it? And same as like Tammy's question is, is also looking at, well, what are the options available and what set of constraints do I have that can start it? And what's the benefit for the next one, the next technique or a different technique? You know, what's the criteria? Is it time? to get results or is it precision of the results or what's important? And as you accomplish or plan for and or accomplish tasks, well, what was that the right thing to do? Was that the right technique to use? Did it achieve the, the, the benefits that we were hoping for it to achieve? Did it influence the decisions that we thought it would influence? So with reliability, it's it's not you can't just look at product sales right 
which is what marketing would say, hey, our marketing plan was successful. We understood the customer and they bought our products as many as we thought they would. And they get feedback pretty directly. Now there's plenty of other forces at play on product sales. Part of it is reliability, right? So how do we quantify the contribution we're making in a meaningful way? Now there's no one right answer to this and it goes back to, to tracking value and understanding the value of what we're doing. But it, as you do that, that understanding the value of what you did, that's one way to get feedback is go ask people, did this report help you? So it was pretty clear in my example I've been using that that customer saw the report and along with all the other criteria, went ahead and made the purchase. So I got good feedback on that. That was great. But I started immediately asking, could I have done it better? Could I have done it more efficiently? Could I have learned more? Um, was it at the right level of detail? There was a lot of comments about my grammar in my report, especially the first couple of drafts of it. Um, but we need to understand what went well and what didn't go so well, and then why. And that then is the springboard to, to make improvements, obviously. Okay, let's see, I got a question in the question tab. Let me take a look at that. Yeah, it, for example, is uh, uh, Michael saying, if they're, if they're not experienced with FMEA, you know, take a look at a couple of reports. I would suggest that they, uh, sit in on a study, a study, or participate in a study that's being conducted by a good facilitator, so they get a good sense of the dynamics of it too. The reading the reports one piece, but it's I think so much happens at the table um, that that's a great place to see what's going on. Right. Um, at that first year is that now let's or in and about your first year as a reliability engineer, as you're learning stuff, as you're looking at specific tasks, like I was looking at accelerated testing, is, well, how do I build this accelerated testing knowledge and models and systems we're using into our product design team? How do we use that to influence the design of the next product? How do we identify when we've stray too far away from the formulas and the constructions that we already know? How do we trigger con conducting another study? How do we build this into our marketing? How do we help people understand that these products do last and here's how we know? Is that useful to share with our customers or not? Go talk to marketing, talk to finance. What element of this is making a difference on the cost of purchase? you know, for or the cost of acquiring a next customer. I started looking at, along with the help of the director of engineering, is what do I need to do a better job of shortening the testing that we're doing so that we get more accurate results? It's kind of the both things we wanted. But also then what what are the capital equipment we need? What is the 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 infrastructure we need to build it into marketing, into sales engineers, uh, lexicon, build it into our websites, which at that point we didn't even have yet. Um, all of those other elements, how do we spread this ability to understand the duration of the life of our product uh, into areas that make it easier for us to achieve those results? And this was, Instead of that first test I did, which was pretty much in my office and in the lab, and 
other than asking pestering, as some people would call it, lots of other people for answers. What I want to do with a strategy is help people influence their own decisions, make sure that the reliability of the product is part of their decision making. And how can I create a culture or a set of guidelines or you know pieces of information that helps them consider reliability? And then come to me as the reliability guy when they need help. But the more that they can do it on their own and do it well, the better the culture is around the reliability. And so the idea here is, is for myself, I need my network, right? I need, I went to a conference. I, it was where I first met Wayne Nelson and, uh, and chatted with him on and off over the last 20, almost 25 years and, and learned an immense amount. And hopefully my questions help him uh, learn uh, as well. Uh, but I've also worked with lots of people all over the world and am not shy, as you know, uh, to ask questions. But in the organization, it was, well, how do we do a design for reliability you know, set of guidelines? Uh, how, what references do we need? So I had Wayne's book and I had uh, O'Connor's book and other documents and stuff about our product and our failure mechanisms. I made those readily available. Um, a lot of what I'm doing on Ascendo Reliability these days started with these this first year of my working as a reliability professional was it's it's not okay in my mind to be the scholar that knows it all but only answers specific questions i don't think that's useful for anybody right but helping other people to be or to to enable others to make good decisions, including the consideration of the reliability impact, is much more powerful and much more useful. Yeah. Um, and how do you build that into the organization? And so my first experience was my boss came to me and said, hey, we need to figure out how long this will last. He already knew to ask that question. And, and I don't think, and I know in part it was prompted by that customer, but it was also something that he did normally. And so I already had senior management that was on board with, we need to understand reliability around all aspects of our product. And, and this one needed a particular more in-depth study. So it was already there. I didn't, I wasn't really even aware of it until I got involved doing accelerated testing. And I've seen it in organization and organization after that, that this culture piece is by far the most powerful thing we can do. So as you learn reliability, is take that learning and immediately teach it to other people. Encourage other people to do the reliability stuff, whatever that may be. Um, ideally, and you, you've, I think most everybody has heard of it, is you want to, do, to work yourself out of a job. And if the rest of the organization is doing the reliability stuff, and reliability is going well, then you could walk out the door and the program would continue. That's what we're looking for. And what I found is that that path of working yourself out of job just lands you into better and more fun and more challenging or different or interesting jobs. You get more choices. 
as opposed to doing it all yourself. And then when you walk out the door, the program collapses because nobody's doing it or understands it. Um, and you work yourself silly trying to keep up with all this stuff. So be smart about it. As you learn reliability, realize what it takes that, how did you learn it? How did you capture it? This knowledge, whether it's FMEAs or accelerated testing or whatever the task is and help other people understand its connections and context and how it fits with everything else so that they can learn it and apply it and use it. So speaking of tools, uh, what tools did you use? Let me see if there's, a, if there's any questions here. And what tools did you first learn? Uh, let's see some of the other comments. Yeah, curveballs. Oh, there's definitely curveballs. I like that comment. The the ability for us to keep learning, uh, it it just doesn't stop. And yeah, cables not seating, uh, solder joints uh, being formed cold so that they crack and and fracture pretty easily. Um, a supplier. Um, using a different batch of raw material than they normally do and it performs completely differently um, and on and on and on. Um, there's one of the things and, and a, a number of you recognize this, it's not always the long-term issues that create product failures. It's one that we often study, right? But it's, it's those what happens when we don't make it right? What happens when the supply chain changes something? What happens when the vendor says, oh, we didn't tell you about that because we didn't think it mattered, and it, and it did. Um, oh, it's the same form, fit, and function, but it's half the price. Um, we generally don't have a lack of, of ways to learn something. All right. Basic analysis, data handling with Jump. You jumped, Mohammed. You jumped into the deep end of the pool with Jump. That's a good program, and it and uh, it's a big task dealing with the analysis and data handling. Good for you. Yeah, and then uh, also the ReliSoft tools. Cool. Yeah, you ended up in the stats end of the of the of the reliability pool. Uh, FMEA, Halt, reliability block diagram. Those are all very good tools all commonly good place to start. It's the same basic process. I started with accelerated life test, but it, this, how does it fit with everything else? What are the decisions that are gonna be made? How does this work in context and so on? So ongoing, I'm gonna touch these just real quickly as, as you continue to learn. I, I am learning new stuff every day and the more folks I talk to, the more questions I answer, the more details I do, um, it, there's no lack of learning of, of what we're doing. And so it's it just becomes an ongoing process. But the fundamental piece is well, who needs to know this and when? What's the criteria that they need this information, right? What decision is going to be made from doing an FMEA or a accelerated test or whatever it is, or if I'm gonna set up a, a program, how does that influence decisions for the products or for the customer or for the maintenance program? 
And if we don't really know how it's going to be used, either we got to figure that out and make sure it's something that's actually worthwhile doing, useful, or, or just don't do it. Um, doing things because you can, but nobody uses is a waste of time, right? So focus on decisions. The other piece that comes into this issue ongoing is your leadership role. It's one of those areas that as a reliability professional, we can lead. We are cross-functional by nature, right? We work across silos, we work across departments, we can work from finance and marketing to operations and design and everybody else in the organization, pretty much. We work with technicians on the first hour of the day and the second hour of the day, we're with the general management. We can raise and focus on issues. Uh, we can uh, uh, communicate and teach our peers and our colleagues, and we can influence decisions at every point in the organization. And if that's not leadership, I don't know what is. You have the opportunity to do it. And given the skill sets that come to being a good reliability engineer, leadership is just part of what we do in order to be successful. And so keep that in mind as you're learning is you also need to learn how to work with other people and to communicate well and to influence people because that's critical for us to achieve the reliability objectives that we're trying to achieve with our customers and organizations. And always, 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 What's the value, right? Let's let's do an estimate. If we're gonna do this accelerated test, what difference will it make? And if it's of low value, well, there's probably something that's more useful for you to go do. If it's of high value, then let's get the resources and make it happen, right? Let's get the books and the tools and the techniques and the expertise we need to be successful at it. And it's all in context. If we don't know how useful or valuable this is, then we don't know what kind of resources to spend on it to, to get an answer. And so understanding that for the big and small things we do will help you frame the solutions that you need to provide. And that's a key piece of it. All right, so last question for you. What's more important, the answers or the questions? Let's see if I can. Also, I have a question about is this Padlet thing? I don't know how many people are on it or using it. It seems there's a, some folks are, are on it. Um, but I know it's a little more functional than the, um, the questions tab, but it's a a feature I'd like having available. So what's more important in our careers and as we learn liabilities, the answers or the questions? Okay, another, another vote for uh, block diagrams. Uh, that's a common one, start with a model. It's a good foundation point to collect data, field data, vendor data, uh, test data, and put it into your block diagram as you model out a system or subsystem. That's all a good place to start. Yeah, I'm seeing a couple of responses for questions. It's, I, I, don't, I don't think there is a right answer here because every time I get an answer, it usually leads to more questions. It's this process of being willing to ask questions and look for the answers. 
And as you get answers, it then helps you frame better questions, right? And as you understand more failure mechanisms and somebody says, hey, what do you think of this design? You can ask some questions that narrow it down to, well, these two failure mechanisms may be a problem. How do we guarding against that, for example? And you immediately take your knowledge of previously answered questions and you ask a new question. And, and you ask a deeper question, you ask a more nuanced question. Um, yeah, and I, I agree with you, Max, Max that it's, it's an iterative process of understanding the, the more, it's one of those things you can learn everything there is about something and then pretty soon you know nothing, or there's some phrase like that. I think it's associated with going after a PhD in higher education. But the idea is, is that there's no end to the questions we can ask. It's now put that in context so let's answer the important questions. And well, how do you determine that? And the cycle just repeats and keeps on going. So as we're learning, we're asking questions and we're finding answers. And then from those answers, we generally have more questions. And, and so it goes. All right. So that'll wrap up for today. But, and I did hit record. Um, let me know if this Padlet feature is useful or not for those that were using it. I'm not, I have no idea of how many people are on it or not. I, I'll see if I can figure it out at some point. Um, the questions tab, I'll keep it open. If there's anybody that has any questions or comments uh, in the Padlet, I'll leave that open. Um, but I wanna thank everybody for being interested in learning reliability engineering. And uh, hopefully you know about, I'm sure you know about Ascendo reliability and all the various tools and tutorials and webinars and podcasts, all the stuff that's there, all with the intent to help you learn reliability tools and techniques and strategies and so on. If there's something that you're looking for, ask a question, send, a, send me an email, send me a note through Ascendo and be happy to help if I possibly can. Um, so with that, I think that'll be the end of the formal re uh, webinar. Uh, please have a great rest of your Tuesday. Uh, stay safe, all those good things. Hope everything's going well for wherever you are. And... Thank you.